0: Hello.
1: Angelina Marie.
0: Jason Boyette.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Uh, It's pretty uneventful. I'm just doing my
1: taxes. Well, this is April 15th. In former days, this was um, kind of a late moment to be doing your taxes, but I guess you're ahead of time Yeah, I guess.
0: I guess I'll take what I can get at this point.
1: So tell me what, you know, we've we've been talking, we've been making podcasts, um, have texted a lot, but tell me what your life is like right now what's happening
0: uh it's pretty much just my four walls I stay home my hourly job I was laid off from so that I could file for unemployment and then as for photography work there is not a whole lot to do right now since we can't be around each other so I edit a podcast too there's that
1: well at least there's at least there's something to do thank you (laughs) (laughs) well thank you um I'm I'm spending a whole lot more time on this podcast than I was on the previous one so it's kept me busy. I hope it keeps you a little bit busy. It gives um, me
0: something to do. Yeah.
1: So you are you are single. I, I I guess we'll let listeners know that. But what's it been like, you know, being a single person living in a home by yourself?
0: Uh I've definitely gone stir crazy. I'm Doing pretty good. I'm very lucky to have such a good community of friends that I can reach out to. But there's, you know, there's days where I'm mostly in bed or just sitting on the couch. And then there are other days where I feel great and I go outside and I really enjoy my time off. But financially, it's definitely a huge struggle. Um, getting the unemployment, it still hasn't gone through, that's been a complete nightmare. And then I've also applied for an SBA and a PPP loan just to see which one comes first. So until then, it's definitely uh, a little tight.
1: Tell me about your experiences trying to file for unemployment. I mean, has it been like other people have said, dozens and dozens of phone calls trying to get in?
0: Yeah, I one day called 135 times before I got through. And then it told me it couldn't help me. So it hung up on me. I've done the online application, and that messed up, so I had to get a hold of someone else who could get a hold of the state. And I finally I think I finally got it as of yesterday. I've got it sent through, and now it's just a waiting game of whether or not it goes through. and then it it actually wouldn't let me because um, I, w- I was making 15 dollars an hour, and it wouldn't let me put that much in it was only letting me do $10.63 specifically for some reason so i'm going to have to dispute that too
1: was it determining that your pay was too much for the job that you were doing i mean why why would it I, limit that
0: i don't know i honestly think it's another glitch because that system is so overloaded and everyone that i've talked to that either works there or knows how it works has just said that with millions of people filing Things are just going wrong.
1: Have you seen a stimulus check yet from the government?
0: I actually got a deposit from my ex-husband today. So it went to his account because we filed, we were still married when we filed last year. so.
1: Did it, um, was it a direct deposit? So it just landed?
0: Yeah, it landed in his account and then uh, he just transferred it today. So I can actually pay rent next month and I'm very relieved. Very
1: excited. <laughs> well, that's that's good news that I've I've seen uh, that some of those are starting to go through.
0: Mm-hmm. And I have I'm lucky. I have a really cool landlord. He's you know he's not going to let me be homeless, but I also understand he's got his own things to to worry about. So I feel really sorry for anyone that lives in an apartment complex where maybe the company isn't as forgiving.
1: What have you thought of the new podcast format? The last few weeks,
0: I think it's given us a lot of insight as to where people in our community whether they're business owners or you know authority or anything like that where they're struggling where they're succeeding where they need us to help them and I think that's really important for us to get through this is to know to have empathy for each other as to what everyone else is going through so that we can treat each other accordingly.
1: I've heard from people doing podcasts. And, and I've also just seen like on some of the late night TV shows that are taking place in, you know, hosts houses and stuff that there's a real freedom from perfection, just because we don't all have great cell phone connections or great video, any of that stuff. I mean, as an editor, somebody who's listening to this, does, does that kind of free you up that, you know, it doesn't have to sound as perfect as it usually does?
0: Yeah, I guess I really haven't thought about it. It's definitely easier For some reason, it feels more important, though, I guess, because of the time that we're in. The style of it is a lot more personal, and I appreciate that. But I don't know. I just I seem to handle it with care. Not that I didn't handle my job with care before, but I don't know. It's just there's a weight to it now that was different than before. And I actually really love where the entertainment industry is right now because it is so honest and real. And. Unlike anything I've seen in my life, I don't know about other times, but this is, this is a really rare experience, and I just want to enjoy what I can of it, and the entertainment industry has done
1: that. Well, that's a good, that's a good transition, so let's just ease on into the podcast from this point. Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This is chapter nine in a temporary reformatting of the show. With the COVID 19 coronavirus having dramatically impacted our daily lives, I've switched up how we do this podcast. I've been documenting what that looks like for members of this community. So I'm now releasing shows twice a week instead of once a week. And it's a moment where a lot of publications, a lot of podcasts, and media outlets have been losing advertisers. So I'm particularly grateful for my sponsors. This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M University. Of course, the museum is closed right now due to the pandemic, and obviously that's the right thing to do. So if the museum can't be open, its staff is working hard to continue pursuing its mission of recording life here on the high plains. To do that, they've teamed up with other great museums across the state of Texas for a joint online learning initiative, bringing daily online arts experiences to you and your kids. So if you've got kids at home who are bored, who need stuff to do, who have finished their schoolwork, check out the museum's Facebook page and you'll find creative activities, introductions to specific artifacts and exhibits, and everything you might do on a field trip to the museum, but which you can now do at home. And in an upcoming series, staff members will be showing off their own curated collections of art and artifacts in their own houses. When everything reopens, Panhandle Plains wants you to come to the museum. They want you to show up in person. But until then, they're bringing the museum to you. Learn more at panhandleplains.org and follow the museum on Facebook at Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. One more thing. If you listen to this show, and apparently you do, would you mind completing a quick online survey? It's part of a research project for West Texas A&M students, and you can find it at bit.ly surveyhey. That's bit.ly surveyhey. It'll take you less than a minute to click a few buttons, but those students who are administering it get a grade on it, and their class is wrapping up soon. So bit.ly slash surveyhey. Now on to the show. The release date for this episode is April 16th, and the interviews were recorded prior to that. Things may have changed by the time you listen.
2: I'm Carice Wood, and I'm a homeschool mom of eight kids, ages four to 16.
1: All right, Carice, thank you for being on the podcast. I know a homeschool mom of eight kids right now does not have a lot of time, and so I really appreciate the the few minutes you've given me. Um, Tell me a little bit about just your homeschooling background here in Amarillo. How long have you been doing it?
2: This is our seventh year. We had our kids in public school for several years
1: and um,
2: came home when my oldest was a fourth grader and kept the younger ones in for a few more years. they have kind of coming home, but somebody has been homeschooling for seven years.
1: Okay. Tell me a little bit. Um about the why of homeschooling, what were some of the advantages that initially you know led you guys to make that decision for your family and your kids?
2: With our kids having such varied personalities and learning styles, we had some who did incredibly well with school and would be done with every really struggled with school and needed a lot of one-on-one and we had incredible teachers, but with 20 kids in a the class, they were unable to. And just take that extra time for those kiddos. So we ended up bringing them home so that they could each have their academic needs met and be able to do school as well as they could possibly do it.
1: Okay, overall, I mean, looking back at the past few years, do you feel like homeschooling has been a good decision for your family and, and for your kids' education? We have really loved it.
2: Um, the first year was a challenge, and there was a lot of on both sides, mine and theirs, as we tried to navigate coming home and figuring out what that looks like. But after we got used to it, we've all really enjoyed it. Um, It has helped with conflict resolution with my kids. They no longer can go to school and disappear for eight hours. And because we are together more during the day, they are forced to work through some of the issues they have. And that has strengthened their relationships to be able to work through those things. It has given our family a lot of flexibility for vacationing, um, special trips that we've done together. For example, whenever we studied Texas history, we went and took a trip to Austin and San Antonio and visited the Alamo. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to do more things like that that we would not have otherwise been able to do. It's given us the opportunity to individualize for each of our kids, to give them extra help if they need it, um, an extra challenge in school if they need that, or even extra sleep if they're not feeling well or um, just life is hard sometimes. So it has allowed us to individualize their educational experience in a way that, that they get what they need when they need it instead of having to do things on a set calendar that may or may not accommodate them.
1: Okay. And I know that, you know, you mentioned going to the Alamo and and vacations, and those are obviously things that your family can't do right now due to staying at home. So tell me, does, does homeschooling right now look different from what it was for you a couple of months ago before the pandemic? I mean, has the virus changed anything for you?
2: I would say the day-to-day of homeschooling looks very similar because we already had the routine of how we do our assignments, when we start, when we end, but because circumstances so dramatically affect how a kid learns, I would say that the kid's attitudes and motivation is significantly affected. They don't want to be in there reading a book and doing a math problem again and knowing that... They're still in the house. They normally have co-ops that they go to on Thursdays where they're around a bunch of their friends getting to do projects and um, science experiments, and they've lost that. And just knowing that all of their extracurricular activities are canceled has really changed how they look at school, and it's not something that they just, power through, get done, do well, and then get to go do the fun stuff, now that all of that extra fun stuff's off the table, it's a lot harder for them to want to do school.
1: The The reason that I wanted to talk to you is that, you know, virtually every parent now has become a homeschooling parent, you know, whether that's something they wanted to do or not. Um, and so as someone who has managed this world and, you know, a lot of kids for several years now, I, I wondered if you had any Any tips or advice, you know, for parents who have this temporary assignment that they may not feel prepared for?
2: I would say recognize that there is a learning curve, both for the parents and the kids, in transitioning to becoming a homeschooling family. It took us at least a year, maybe a little bit longer, to feel like we were confident in our choice, maybe not our choice, in how we were implementing our decision to stay home. And... Everything shifted when we started staying home. So I would just say set your standards accordingly and know that it's not going to be easy and smooth to transition in the middle of a year into something totally different and give yourself and the kids some grace in that. And in addition to that, um, I would say that spring fever is here for all of the kids. So I'm a little bit of mercy in that. And their school day won't take as long because they're not having all of the extra students asking questions. They're not having other people interacting with them. Their assignments will go a lot more quickly, and that doesn't mean they're not doing them well. It just means that they can accomplish the same amount of work in maybe a shorter time.
1: Do you, you know, you you talked about how your family has seen so many benefits from that decision. You know, given that some families are in this and, and like you said, it's it's for a temporary period, um, they, they may not have the schedule or the routine in place. But do you think there's a way for moms and dads to kind of lean into some of those benefits and and see some of that, whether it's the conflict resolution, whether it's the relationships? I mean, do you think it's possible even in this shorter time span for them to to try to embrace some of those things?
2: Absolutely. I think that anytime your family comes together with a set goal that you're all working towards, whether it's accomplishing your schoolwork or if it's strengthening the relationships during the time, then that's absolutely achievable. The kids are loving having parents home more. I know just from other parents I've talked to that kids are really enjoying having their parents home from work earlier in the day or home all day. And it's providing opportunities to have conversations that may not have otherwise happened, to play games, to discuss hopes and dreams for the future, places you want to travel. And all of the time that we as parents often wish we had before our kids leave home that is overtaken by all of the mundane tasks we have to do, I feel like now we've got the opportunity to do those things with our kids that we may not have otherwise gotten to do. And so I absolutely think during this time that there are so many benefits, even if it's only for a few weeks or a month, that the families will get to reap from this time.
1: Okay. And Carice, the the last question I've been asking my guests is, you know, despite the current situation, what what is giving you hope at the moment? I mean, what are some things you've seen in your, your neighborhood, your community, your family that, that causes some optimism for you?
2: I think the thing that has given us the most hope kind of comes just from our family experience over the last year. Um, almost exactly a year ago, our son was hospitalized for three months. Um, he was intubated for 37 days of that. So our family was divided for three months. While we got to see our other seven kids, it was not the same. We weren't living together. We were not getting to spend much time together. ICU has very strict visitation, and we couldn't leave the hospital frequently. It was, we were in Fort Worth. So that provided a lot of challenges for us as a family. And additionally, we didn't have our friends, our church. So we were very, very isolated for those three months, as we watched our kid on event struggling um, for life. So we experienced a lot of the fear and the unknown that many families through this quarantine are, are battling. And we got to see that God carried us through. Not, not in a way that everything was fine when we came home and when we came out of it but in a way that showed us that we as a family can pull together, we can be stronger, we can be healthier, and we can have better relationships coming out of something so trying than we went into the trial. And so living through this quarantine now, we're able to see that you can come through the other side, that your relationships are going to survive if you put into them the time and effort and energy, and we're able to see that our friendships and our relationship with God are changed forever. And while we will never go back to the normal that we had before, life's never going to look the exact same, that doesn't mean that it can't be a really incredible life left to live, and possibly even better than it would have been otherwise.
1: Okay, Carice Wood, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Hey, I am Kyle Cato, and I'm the owner
3: of CrossFit 806.
1: Kyle, thanks for being on the show today. I know it's a busy time for a lot of business owners, or it's at at least an uncertain time. Um, So tell me how CrossFit 806 has sort of pivoted to continue doing what you guys do in, uh, in relationship to your clients?
3: So a while back, um, I invested in some really good coaches, and we invested a lot into our business by adding on to the gym, um, trying to grow some certain programs. Um, everything was going great. Uh, Seeing a lot of new faces, a lot of new families. And um, then COVID-19 snuck in, forced us to close our doors, Um, because of that, uh, because of knowing what was going to happen kind of a couple weeks ahead of time, uh, we put together a plan. Um, we were able to stick to that plan and, um, starting week four, we have seen a lot of our members continue to move, um, in new ways. Um, we have, uh, we've been closed for a full three weeks now, starting week four, uh, soon. Um, we have Developed a way through uh, a software program called Zoom to keep our coaches um, coaching our, our members in uh, group fitness. And that is what's working for us. Uh, we had a plan to uh, lease out some of our equipment. Um, we had our members not charge, not pay us anything. There was no charge for this. We just had them agree to, uh, you know, to return it a few days before we open. Um, this this allowed us to keep them moving with a light uh, dumbbell or kettlebell. Um, that was going good for two weeks. Um, we had noticed that people are still active, but they're starting to get into that plateau of this is kind of you can do so much with. body weight movements and a kettlebell. So we decided to, uh, last week, we decided to go ahead and lease out the same, the same uh, process with a barbell and a pair of, uh, bumper plates. So now we are we're seeing that excitement again. You know, people they're 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 able to now lift a little bit heavier weights. Um, we're we're doing a lot of personal training classes through Zoom. So you're you're able to get a group led coach class, or you can work one on one with one of our coaches. And um, as of now, knowing that our gym is closed, but knowing that. Almost a hundred percent of our members have decided to stay with us and continue to um, continue to pay their monthly membership fee um, is showing me and our coaches that what we're doing is working.
1: How many members do you have
3: at the moment? Between our two locations, Amarillo and Borger, uh, we're just under two hundred and twenty.
1: Okay, and I I know within the CrossFit community, you know that working out. By yourself at home kind of takes away a lot of what people love about CrossFit, which is the coaching, the accountability that it has. And so do you feel like your members are still getting that even though they're having to do it remotely?
3: The the amount of good feedback that we've received is people are we're, – we're, they're working out more. Their, their spouse might not be a member at our gym, but their spouses are – Starting to participate in the workouts we're doing, um, I was able to uh, put together. A, I used to be a PE teacher, um, so I was able to put together a PE style CrossFit kid style workout, and we reached out to members and the public for this. And so far, we've got 40 parents that receive an email. Uh, we, re- we required the, the parents to sign a waiver for their kids. Um, our insurance allowed us to do this, but we're doing a kid fitness class Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 p.m. So we've got 40 parents, and there's a couple of kids that have two or three brothers and sisters. So we've, we've got about 70 kids doing that with us. So um, when it comes to the fact that we're offering more, uh, more class times, we're offering a personal training and group fitness. And we've only lost 17 of 220 people. We're doing something and people are liking it.
1: Tell me about the impact on your instructors. You know, they're going from, you know, being in a large-scale group coaching environment to now coaching to a camera or a phone or something like that. How have they adapted and what's that like for them?
3: We have had a plan from the very beginning and it has been amazing to watch our coaches make fitness fun for a group of people that are in different rooms, they're at their office, they're in their backyard, but we have we have made it work, and we're going to keep making it work. Um, a while back, we put together our vision and our values, and it was Fun Family Fitness. That's our vision, and to know that we are now reaching families in a different way um, through Fun Fitness, it's it's really been a great thing to watch our coaches. Uh, perform what they're good at, even though we're not in the same room with our members.
1: Cal, one of the things I've I've heard some some small business experts talk about is the idea of crisis renewal. That when you you go through a moment like this, you have to adapt and change the way you do things. Sometimes you come through on the other side stronger in certain places or with some fresh ideas. I mean, looking forward to when. Life continues as normal. I mean, do you, do you feel like any of this you'll have learned something, or you'll be able to implement something new with with your business?
3: So I have seen our gym being a being a uh, relationship based business. Um, we've been able to make impacts with uh, with your brother's ministry. We have partnered with a ministry called Twenty Five Thirty Five Water, who provides water for for uh, Uganda, Africa. Uh, we have seeing uh, what we can do through the family style of uh, approach that we offer. So knowing that this isn't going to last forever, our gym's not going to be closed for hopefully much longer, maybe three to six weeks, I'm hoping. Knowing that the the value that we continue to offer our members, knowing that the, their friends that go to different gyms aren't getting any different service provided other than maybe an at-home workout that they send through an email or something. But knowing that we had an opportunity to step our game up and we have hit it out of the park so far, knowing that when we open up, it's going to be a second January for us. I mean, it's going to be an opportunity for the people that are following us on social media, knowing that their gym's not doing anything for them, knowing that there's a gym across town that, is doing stuff in the worst of times, and people are just not, they're they are choosing to talk about it, posting social media pictures and videos, and just seeing the comments that their friends are, are, are giving to them. I know, and I'm so ready to see the second January pop up when we open back up.
1: Okay. Kyle, the last thing I wanted to ask, and, and this is something I've asked all of my guests, is what is one thing that's bringing you hope right now? And, and maybe we just covered that territory, but but personally, you know, is, is there something that's kind of driving some optimism for you?
3: So I am a believer. Uh, my hope is in Jesus, and I have had an opportunity to just share my faith more to our, to our gym, to our members, in a different way, knowing that um, I have have had an opportunity to just share my faith, and that's hope in Jesus through this, that's been one of the best things through this for me. Now, I'm, um, I'm always open about my relationship with Jesus, but having a chance to just share with our members through emails and text messages and stuff in this hard time, it's been a great opportunity, and I, that's the best thing that I've taken out of this.
1: All right. Cato, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you.
4: I am Nick Gerlick, and I am the Hickman Professor of Marketing at West Texas A&M University.
1: Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, I know this is getting toward the end of uh, a semester at WT, and a a very different end of a semester, so I know it's probably a busy time for you. Um, To start, I, I know that you have been an online... Um, sort of expert in, when it comes to teaching for, for several years now. Can you tell me just a little bit about your experience, how you've been uh, teaching classes at WT?
4: My experience teaching online started way back in 1997 when I was invited to uh, visit with the then uh, graduate school dean who had this crazy idea about this newfangled way of teaching classes. And he said, and you can do it all through a laptop. And I said, okay, sign me up. You know, it didn't take him long to twist my arm because I I love technology, have throughout my life. And I figured this is a great challenge for me to take uh, a three-dimensional class and put it into a two-dimensional array. And so I've been doing it since 97 and I've had more than 100 course offerings since then.
1: Has the way you teach or have taught in the past Has it changed dramatically to how you're teaching right now in the current situation?
4: Yes, it has changed considerably, and it continues to evolve. Uh, In the early days, everything was text-driven, and so it was just static HTML pages and and, wonky dial-up chat rooms, uh, which in the early 2000s evolved to podcasts, believe it or not, because they were popular 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. and I did my time with them. Uh, but YouTube came along and, you know, video killed radio stars and everybody else too. And suddenly video became the, the way to do things. Um, and then now more recently, podcasts have become popular again. But really what I'm finding out is it's a good mix of both. We need video for those times when the students need to uh, see facial expressions and more nuance than what you can just get out of an audio soundtrack but on the other hand, we still need podcasts because there's plenty of times when students uh, can't look at a screen. Maybe they're driving home, they're on the train in New York City or wherever. And so uh, doing things in audio give them the ability to uh, still be a consumer of content without having to put their eyeballs on it.
1: So you've been producing that content and teaching students you know, for a decade using the online tools that, you know, have been available. But right now, everybody's in the exact same situation. Everybody is having to adapt to something that you've got 10 years of practice in. So, yeah. you know, what kinds of things are you seeing like at at this very moment, whether it's with your students here, with some of your colleagues at WT? I mean, what are some of the challenges that they're dealing with, you know, that, that really wasn't a big deal a month ago or two months ago?
4: Well, for those who have never done it before, um, they've never had the benefit of being forced, really, to visualize how to take all this content that they were so used to delivering in a classroom and suddenly repackage it for electronic delivery. And that is no small task. And I, I can only give high praise to my colleagues, both at the university and all the, the K through 12 teachers in the area who have been able to turn on a dime. And do this in such short order. I had the benefit of time working to my advantage. You know, I could just kind of ease into this. They didn't have that option. And they have risen to the challenge here. And I'm, I'm very happy to see what everybody's doing. Um, obviously, Zoom video is, you know, it's cool for everybody right now. Everybody wants to do it. Um, I haven't done any Zoom videos in my class because I'm, I'm of the opinion that an online class really needs to be asynchronous, um, meaning that I don't need you to be somewhere at one o'clock, Jason, because that may not work for you anymore. You know? mm-hmm. It may not fit into your work style, your lifestyle and all that. And so I have kept everything uh, throughout the pandemic uh, totally asynchronous. I just put things out there, whether it's audio, text, video, whatever, but nothing is live. On the other hand, though, everybody else seems to be doing it with great success, and I wish them only the best with it.
1: And this may be anecdotal, but have you heard, you know, from your students um, about any struggles that they've had, you know, keeping up with classes, balancing a class load with their current living situation, maybe having kids at home? I mean, what kinds of things do you hear?
4: Oh my gosh, uh, some of it's heart wrenching. Um, I've got. Some uh, folks in in the MBA program who are healthcare workers, uh, nurses, doctors, and so forth, and they're stressed out like you would not believe. I mean, I when I chat with them either over the phone or um, in messaging services, I feel like I'm talking to somebody who's in a foxhole somewhere, um, you know, protecting American interests. I don't envy them. They they have a hard time finishing their projects. And so I've done everything I can to be compassionate and, you know, give extra time whenever possible uh, without also cheapening the experience. You know, we, we, we can never uh, dilute the courses to the point that we're just giving things away. We still have to do the work and everything. Uh, But at the same time uh, it's been put before all of us, not just me that, Um, students first. We've got to consider their situation. I I had another student who was very sick uh, throughout most of, uh, well, the last two or three weeks, tested negative, hallelujah. And and we had an exam coming up and I said, you don't need to take this test right now. You need to get well first. Um, And I see and hear stories of all my colleagues doing just that, um, bending over backwards to Um, take into account the uh, extreme circumstances um, in which we all find ourselves these days.
1: Nick, one of the things that, you know, we've we've known each other for quite a few years and that I've always appreciated about you as a marketing professor is that you are are always very forward thinking. You've always embraced technology. You're always thinking about the future and its impact on, you know, what you teach. And I, I know that, with a lot of your students, you know, you've know, you been posting regular essays and blog posts about the pandemic and the things that they need to be thinking about um, and, and kind of forcing them to grapple with some of these issues and what it might mean for the future. So talk to me about some of the conversations that you've been having with them and, and some of the things that maybe uh, you and your students have been discussing as, you know, what's the world going to look like on the other side of this?
4: That's a great question, Jason. I, I wish I could say with absolute certainty what it's going to look like, the best I can do is just put on my crystal ball gazers and uh, try to sneak a peek into the future and then tell my students about it. Um, Right around the 11th of March, I believe, maybe the 9th of March, yeah, when WT announced that it was uh, canceling classes and all this for the pandemic, that's when I decided my courses are now going to be COVID-101 Okay, every every one of my classes, all three of them, this is what we're gonna do the rest of the semester. We're gonna make this pandemic ours, our subject matter. We're gonna learn from it and figure out how we as responsible business people, and I'm, I'm talking about the future business leaders of the of the free world here. How must we respond to a situation like this? You know, it's one thing to use case studies as learning material to simulate. It's quite another to be living it and having to respond right now. And so I focused on things like corporate responsibility. um, And then I've also focused on um, things in the future, what things are going to change, what things won't change. Um, I require my students to think about how much they have already changed after only five weeks you know how willing are you to go to a restaurant now you know after 5 weeks you know something that we all took for granted all the time now the very notion of sitting down at a at a table holding a you know a dirty menu and using plates and utensils that have been handled by others and food prepared by strangers and served by more strangers and suddenly all these things we have to question everything now because our lives going forward are going to be very different, and it's up to us now, as uh, you know, people training to be into in business. We got to figure out how we can respond and be responsible, and hopefully still make a profit at it because that's the whole whole reason we're here. Um, I know I have hit on a particular uh, home improvement chain several times. They have become my whipping boy. Uh, As an example, throughout the last five weeks here, uh, it's one thing to advertise on national television that we should all put signs of thanks in our living room windows. So uh, those uh, people on the front line fighting the disease will know that we appreciate them. But then it's quite another to invite everybody to come in for a big sale because hey, we need to paint our bedroom now. So I'm I'm wanting my students to think about this stuff. Um, be careful. Be sensitive to the problem at hand, and figure out how you can still make a profit somehow, but at the same time, um, don't violate the spirit of all the uh, what our mayors and governors and our president are asking us to do right now.
1: And at the same time, you know, you see businesses trying to walk that tightrope of sustaining their business but also showing community support there's also a sense within the business community that coming out of this there will be opportunities that maybe they didn't have you know we will have entire business structures that change that pivot um, products that you know we didn't need beforehand but now are like considered essentials whether those are masks or gloves or, or something like that what are you talking to students about the opportunities maybe handled in a sensitive way, but the opportunities that a crisis can provide a business? Well, simple little things
4: like our gloves and masks, those are going to become convenience items and hopefully post-pandemic we'll get uh, the supply problems all figured out so that we step into uh, a public restroom or uh, a bus station or a train station or airport or anywhere like that just as easily as we can buy a Coke or a Pepsi we will be able to buy gloves or a mask or any other type of convenience product. These are things that we are now going to um, assume going forward that they're going to be available because we might need them. We might like need. a hand
1: sanitizer
4: vending yes. machine or something like yes, that. Absolutely. Whether it's, whether it's like the old cologne dispenser in men's rooms and truck stops, you know, where you put a quarter in and get a little, squirt of something that smells good, hey, you may be able to do the same thing to get uh, these personal care products that will hopefully protect you um, a little bit more in the future. Um, I think it's going to extend into how we design our buildings. Um, You know, just go to the gas station, go to a truck stop and try to get gas. And, you know, let's suppose you need a receipt or maybe just need to use the the restroom or want to get a Coke. How many of those places had Front doors that require you to manually grab a hold of with your hand. Nobody ever thought of this kind of stuff going forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, many buildings today have automatic doors that have optical sensors and so forth, but not everybody does. We're going to have to have everything in the future such that we can just walk through contact-free, whether it's the front door at Love's or the Flying J, um, even the the entry into the bathroom. We don't need a door to the bathroom. We should just have an L-shaped entry that gives us the privacy we need to enter, you know, to come and to go without having to touch things. And so that's going to be a big difference going forward. Um, maybe it gets as sophisticated as, you know, at our office doors, we've got a retina scan or just a tap uh, with an ID card, just like, uh, well, that gets into payments, but it's the same kind of idea where we don't have to actually touch something with our hands. And so the more that we can do like that, the better off we're going to be. And if I could give you just one simple example, it would be the Amazon Go store that's in prototype on the West Coast. It's a prototype supermarket in which you walk in and you get your groceries and leave and the whole idea is to be contact free. Uh, The first thing you do when you step in is activate an app. So you've checked in. uh, The sensors in the floor instantly recognize your footprints, So they're following you electronically. And then you're putting things into your basket. The store is so high tech that it knows exactly what you just put into your basket. And when you're done, you just walk out the door. You never interact with any kind of a payment system. You don't have to interact with humans. You don't have to touch anything other than the product that you put into your basket um, a year ago, that seemed really far-fetched. Now it seems like a pretty good idea.
1: yeah you you mentioned the office place too i I imagine that a lot of office workers are discovering now that they can get their jobs done without having to actually go sit at a desk in an office, you know in some rented facility. Do you see? You know, some businesses, or or maybe the commercial real estate market, places like that, starting to see a change in how many you know public facing businesses or even private businesses thinking that they need to have this much square footage for workers.
4: I think we're going to see corporations rethink the corporate campus really soon. Um, When it comes to building new facilities in the future, or even renewing uh, um, uh, agreements, you know, that they rent or whatever. Um, they're going to think smaller because they don't need to have all these people together. Yes, there's the social aspect and, and all the good that comes from that. But at the same time, we've just learned through the last five weeks that we can do pretty much all of this from anywhere. And I know I've been preaching this for a long time since because I've been teaching online for so long. I work from everywhere. It doesn't matter where I am. Um, Right now, of course, I'm at home. I can't hop in the van and go somewhere and, and then log in later from a Hampton Inn. I'm logging in from home like everybody else is now. But the point being that remote working is something that its, it's time has truly come.
1: Nick, the last question I've been asking my guests is one that's a little bit more optimistic, and and it's what's bringing you hope right now. What is something that you're seeing, whether it's among your students or your colleagues or your community, that gives you a sense of optimism um, for the current moment or or maybe where we're going?
4: Well, uh, I shared this with my students a couple weeks ago. It was a memory of one of my former students at WT back in the 1990s, a young man who was already an entrepreneur and was seasoned beyond his years. And I was teaching the class about the fabled SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And I was trying to give some examples. And this young man sheepishly raised his hand and said, Dr. Gerlich, isn't it true that behind every threat is a golden opportunity? And I said, wow, that's very profound why don't you teach the class? Because you just said the best thing that's been said all night. And and so I have tried to keep that as my m- mantra and also share it with my students that don't view your threats as the end of the world, view them as opportunities to overcome. And that I think is something that all of us can do. We really have. We've got a history of doing it. Maybe we need to get a little bit better. Um, maybe we need to focus on, on the positive side of this we will overcome. I know I sound like, um, you know, like I'm a campaigner here, but oh well, and it's it's true. We really can find the opportunity right behind that threat. So, okay, we've got threats right now. What are we going to do about it? We have a possible meat shortage now in America because of a pork plant with people, 300 people testing positive. What are we going to do about this going forward? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to solve the problem of, um, well, restaurants? You know, good grief. Who wants to go to a buffet now after all this? How do we solve this? What What's the solution to this new threat? Does it mean we just go out of business? No, we don't go out of business. We fix the problem because people still want to eat. We have to eat. And we still like to go out to eat because it's fun to let somebody else do all the work. So we just have to find new ways to think about old things and do as my very prescient student said 25 years ago, find the opportunity hiding behind the threat.
1: Okay. Nick Gerlich, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. And that concludes the show. First, thanks to my guests for volunteering their time to be interviewed and to Angelina Marie for pulling double duty as a guest and as the editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening and thanks especially to all those who support this show financially and help keep it free through patreon.com slash At the top of that list are my executive producers, Valerie Gooch, Joshua Rafe, Jess Heredia, Josh Wood, Criselda, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Wes Reeves, Neil Mossiman, Katie Linger, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, and Corey Burns. Sign up for my weekly Hey Amarillo email newsletter at bit.ly slash Newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Newsletter. This has been episode 138. My name is Jason Boyette. Stay safe, stay home, and love your neighbor.